All right, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3. We've got one more week in Daniel, and then we're going to make a beeline towards Christmas. That's the, the crazy part. We are about five Sundays away before we get to Christmas. But before we get there, we want to tackle Daniel chapter 3. And basically, we're looking at two questions. We're looking at two questions this morning that when you answer these questions... It transforms your life. How you answer these two questions will determine how you live, what you do. First question is, is God bigger? Is God bigger? That's the first question we're going to look at. And then the second question is similar. Is God better? One leads to obedience. The other leads to joy. One leads to hope. The other leads to purpose. And it's all in how you answer these two questions. And so we'll, we'll dive in here. Before we do that, I want to give some background of Daniel 1 and Daniel 2. I would love, I don't want to put anybody on the spot, but I would love for, for to have you guys come up and summarize chapter 1. So Daniel chapter 1, King Nebuchadnezzar comes, sees the territory of Judah. Nebuchadnezzar is the most powerful man on the planet, leading the most powerful kingdom on the planet, Babylon. And he says, I see this country. I want it. I'm going to take it. And he lays siege on this city. He conquers this city and he takes people captive, right? Now, that's one way to view history, right, from our perspective. Tomorrow you guys will wake up and decide what you will do, where you will go. Will you go to work or not? Will you go to school or not? Will you pay attention in class? Will you teach a lesson in class? All of these decisions from a personal perspective, you guys are deciding. I am deciding. But there's another way to view history. And it's what God gives us in Daniel 1, verse 2. He says that God gave over Judah to King Nebuchadnezzar. He's using Nebuchadnezzar like a puppet on a string. You see, the people had forgotten God. And God brings this nation to take them captive, so they remember God in captivity. And we see something that's crucial. It's better to be in captivity and remember God than to enjoy the comforts of home and forgetting God. Now you're thinking, that doesn't sound true to me. Which gets to the question, is God bigger? Is God better? You see, this is a theme not just in Daniel, but throughout all of history. Then you get to Daniel chapter 2. and So Daniel's climbing in rank. He's said, you've got to eat this, the king's food and the king's wine. He's like, no, I'm going to drink water and eat vegetables. I'm not going to dishonor my God by doing what everybody else is doing. He's going to be obedient. He's faithful. And what you see is God is always faithful to his people. And he blesses Daniel and Meshach, Shadrach, and Medigo with favor, and they rise in rank. Things are going well. And then this crazy king has a dream. And he calls all the wise men in to interpret this dream, and nobody can tell him what he dreamed, right? Nobody can do that. If you had a dream last night and you got up and said, you know what, let's make a deal. You tell me what I dreamed and what it means. I'll give you a million dollars. Nobody in the room can do it. But God's with Daniel. God's with his people as they go through the furnace of exile. God gives Daniel a revelation. I love it. Daniel says, hey, king, mark your calendar. I'm coming in. You set the date. I'll tell you what the dream is and its interpretation before God ever answered his prayer. Right? So Daniel has hope that his God is there and that he's big enough. So sure enough, God shows up. He goes in, interprets the dream for Nebuchadnezzar. Remember the dream? It's this huge statue. The head is gold, then you got silver and bronze, and then iron and clay. 
represents five kingdoms. And then there's a rock. This little stone comes, hits the bottom of this statue. Statue crashes so that it disappears. Kingdoms are gone. And this little stone becomes a mountain that covers the earth. And it's pointing to Jesus and his kingdom. All earthly kingdoms will be gone. Only one kingdom will remain and his king will be forever. And we see that and that gives hope to people. Right? Especially to us who have limited abilities, right? All of us, if you live long enough, will have aches and pains, sickness, disease, your body deteriorates. There's got to be something more. And what you see is a king who has conquered death, conquered the grave, offers a kingdom with no end. That gives hope to people in exile, but that gives hope to us today when you see the brokenness all around us. And now we get to Daniel chapter 3. So I'm going to pray because I'm going to ask God to do something in your life and in my life that only He can do. Right? Because I don't know if you're convinced that God is better than what the world has to offer you. And I don't know if you're convinced that God is bigger than some of the furnaces that you have to go through. And so I'm going to ask God to show up and do what only He can do. All right, so let's pray, and then we'll get to work. Father, I thank you for your people. We're not here by accident. You have gathered us together at this time, on this day, to hear from you. So, Father, I pray that you pour out your spirit. You move in a mighty way. I pray that you transform our lives. We are in desperate need of you. Help us see how great and how big you are. Help us see that you are the best thing this world has to offer. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, have you guys ever uh, played the game, Would You Rather? Would You Rather? So I, I've got a couple of questions. And I just want this to get your brain going, right? Would you rather run with the bulls, swim with sharks, sleep with a grizzly bear? All right, so I'm going I'm to take a poll, straw poll. I got an idea on which one would win here. Who would rather run with the bulls? Raise your hand. All right, who would rather swim with the sharks? Who would rather sleep with a grizzly bear? Oh, man. All right, so we got numerous of the, whew. I'm going to take neither of those. One, I'm not fast, and I'm a huge target for this thing right here. This would not go well for me. Uh, I saw a documentary on these guys. Uh, not fun. I can swim, but not fast enough. Sharks terrify me. Uh, we went to Daytona. We saw a manatee, but all we saw was a big, dark shadow in the ocean. I'm picking up, girl, we're running to the, the beach, and I didn't get back in after that. So none of those are great options, right? All right, next one. Would you rather skydive or bungee jump? Now, listen, your life in the hands of a rubber band or a couple of strings, right? None of these are great options, right? I don't think I'm ever going to do either of these. Ah, we'll take a vote. Who would rather skydive? All right. Who would rather bungee jump? Okay, okay. All right, I like it. I like it. And then um, I came up just with a few more just to, to think. This is going to be dependent on who your best friend is. All right. Would you rather win $50,000? Right. So you yourself, you win $50,000 or would you let your best friend win $500,000? All right. Let's take the vote. Would you rather win $50,000? Go ahead and raise your hand. <laughs> All right. Hey. Some of your best friends aren't giving you a dime. You better raise your hand. Would you rather your best friend win 500? 
There we go. All right, all right. That's how I, I thought that would go. And then last one, would you rather have the ability to fly or be invisible? Would you rather have the ability to fly or be invisible? All right, if you'd rather fly, raise your hand. Man, that's me. That's me. I've always struggled to get off the ground. I love trampolines. They don't love me. Um, I think I would rather fly. Would you rather be invisible? All right. All right. Good deal. About half and half. Well, here, <laughs> that is not creepy. Here in Daniel chapter 3, you have the ultimate would you rather question. Right? So here comes Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they have a would you rather. Would you rather disobey God, bow down before this image that Nebuchadnezzar built, or obey God and be thrown into a furnace? All right? So those are the two options. Disobey God bow down to this golden image and live, or stand up, obey God, thrown into a furnace. Pretty serious would you rather question, right? It's easy if it's out there, right? I don't have to worry about bungee jumping or skydiving because it's not going to be for me. Neither, right? Here, this is real life. And sometimes you guys will be in this same situation. And I am in the same situation. And how you answer is God bigger and is God better will determine on how you answer that question. That's what made all the difference for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. All right, so let's dig in. Let's see this account. All right, so if you got your Bibles, Daniel chapter 3, start with verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and breadth 6 cubits. All right, so we don't do cubits anymore, right? But basically it's about from your elbow to your fingertips. It's about 18 inches. All right, so this thing is about, if you have a picture, uh, look at a gym, basketball goal, the rim is 10 feet. That's about how wide this image is, right? So it's pretty wide. But how tall it is, if you go from this garage door to the outside doors, it's about 60 feet, right? So about 60 feet, add one more half on, and you get 90 feet. That's about how tall this thing is. Everybody can see it. It's plated in gold. It is a massive statue. Why do you think Nebuchadnezzar built this thing? You remember the dream from chapter 2? There were five kingdoms represented on the statue. He was represented by the golden head who would pass away, give way to silver, and then give way to iron and bronze. But he said, you know what? I don't care what the dream meant. I'm going to do my thing. My kingdom's going to last forever. He builds this huge gold plated statue, 90 feet tall. Massive. But that's not all. What is he doing with it? Then the king sent to gather um, basically all the important people. Right? So they all come in. Verse 3. Then all of the important people and officials gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So, so get this in your mind. He invites everybody in the kingdom that's anybody. Hey, come. I want you to see what I've built. And then, this is what you do. And the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, everybody in the room, that when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lair, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar set up. Right? Instructions are simple. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into the burning fiery furnace. All right, so I don't want you to raise your hand. don't want you to, to answer, what would you do if this is your situation? There's a king in the land. 
gather everybody in the building. Guys, this is what we're going to do. Donovan's going to bang some drums. When he bangs the drums, everybody's going to bow down to this golden image. If you do that, everything's well. If not, we're going to take you outside. You're going to be thrown into a fire until you die. Right? This is reality for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're in a foreign land. If they want to survive, it seems that there's one thing they have to do. Verse 7, Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the bagpipe and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down, worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. All right? That makes sense. Most people would do that. I think it was interesting. Uh, this past week we looked at a book, uh, Five Marks of a Man, and it says that a man is willing to take a minority position. Right? They're willing to go against the flow. When everybody else is doing this or whatever is popular, they're willing to take a stand and turn the tide. You're going to be introduced to three men right here. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared, O King Nebuchadnezzar, right? So, hey, these guys have been replaced. Remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have been promoted and promoted and promoted? Well, the guys that they jumped over were these guys. And now, these guys had them right where they want them. O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree. Every man who hears the sound of all the instruments should fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the burning fiery furnace. Now the king made the command. Do you think he needs to be reminded? No, what they're doing is, hey, your word should stand, right king? So this is the consequences. We got something to tell you. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. That's a true statement, right? So Nebuchadnezzar hears this and he is heeded. Verse 13, in furious rage commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought in. So they brought these men before the king. Now, now get this. He's saying there's no way that these guys aren't listening to what I've said. Surely they must not have heard the music. There must be some reason that they didn't bow down. Maybe they have sore knees. I don't know what's going on. We'll give them another chance. So verse 14, Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn and the pipe and the lair and the trigon and the harp and the bagpipe and every kind of music, fall down, worship the image that I have made, and it will all be well and good. So he gives them another way out. But... If you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. And then I love this question. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Right? The baddest dude on the planet thinks he's in control. The most powerful man on earth, Nebuchadnezzar, is like, hey man, if you don't do what I say, you're going to be burning, and who's going to save you now? Right? This is a rhetorical question. Nebuchadnezzar thinks he knows the answer. You're done. I love this response. This response, verse 16 to 18, is the main point of this chapter. So if you're taking notes, write down Daniel 3, 16 to 18. This is our anthem. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. Now, if you, if you just heard what the king said, they have every need to answer him in this matter. Their lives are on the line. And they're just like, whatever, dude. 
Do what you got to do. We don't have any need to answer you. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. I love that. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego know that God is bigger. And then, here's their conclusion. But if not, if he doesn't save us for some reason, if it's not a part of his perfect plan, we trust him. So they say, but if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Man, that's guts. They knew that God was bigger, and they knew that God was better. Better than even saving their own lives. So you go to verse 19. Let's see what happens. Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression on his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Um, when, when I see this, I get pictures of coaches, right? Think Coach Nevels. When somebody doesn't run a play right, think Coach Carr. Somebody talks back. That's the face we got here, right? Nebuchadnezzar is furious. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. He said, hey, we're cranking this up. If you have an oven, if you ever cooked on an oven, you take the burner and you turn it all the way to the right, that's what he does to the furnace. Crank it up, crank it up, crank it up. And he orders some of his mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men who were bound with their cloaks and their tunics and their hats and their other garments... They were all thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's not a good thing. People are dying just getting close to the furnace. That's how hot it is in this furnace. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. Again, you have a place where the story just slows. Right? You hear the music playing, everyone's bowing down, you think the story might end there. Here, all right, so these three dudes took a stand, good for them. They're dying for the cause, good for them. That's a great example, but the story doesn't end here. Check out what happens. Then, King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. He answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. I can just see it like this king, his face is on fire. It's burning, and he can't understand what's going on. He declared, hey, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out. Come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. And all of those smart people that came in to bow down to the golden image now are looking at them. And they saw that the fire had not touched or had any power of the bodies of those men. The hair on their heads was not singed. Their cloaks were not harmed. And the smell of fire had not come upon them. And then verse 28. I love this conclusion because Nebuchadnezzar now recognizes God is bigger and God is better. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's commands and yielded up their bodies rather than to serve and worship any god except their own god. And therefore, I make a decree, any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses in ruins 
And there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. That is a true statement. There is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Now, you're thinking, Ben, that's a great account. Glad for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. What does that have to do with me today? Glad you asked. Number one, God is bigger. These guys had to answer, is God bigger than this 90-foot giant statue? That is an impressive structure. Right? There's no cranes to do this work. He has this massive giant statue. Is God bigger than this statue? Is God bigger than their captivity? If God was so big, God so great, why are they prisoners in a foreign land? Is God bigger than their current situation? Is God bigger than the king's order? Can God handle this? And you wonder what the problem with this is? Like, I can see Shantas, right? I see him. If, if he's threatening me, I can see the threat. I can't see God. Now, they know he's there, but I can't see him. And if Shantes is King Nebuchadnezzar, and he's threatening my life and has the power to take it, that is a scary, terrifying thing. And I need someone bigger and more powerful than the biggest and most powerful person on the planet that I can see who has power, who has taken over countries, and now is threatening my life. Is God bigger? Is God bigger than the furnace? The furnace is powerful. You open the door and mighty men fall dead. Is God bigger than the furnace? And then it's up close and personal. Is God bigger than the Babylonian so-called gods? The king who's unstoppable and unstable and powerful? And you see their response. Now, you might not have to bow down to a 90-foot giant, but you too will face a furnace. And you have to be able to answer the question of, is God bigger? And some of you have bigger giants and bigger furnaces than what these guys had to go through. Look throughout history. For Noah, God is bigger than his reputation. So my man's old. Noah's old, right? And God tells them to build a boat. Now listen, they don't have any nice trucks to tow a boat to where the water is. And Noah's building a boat and there's no water. He's not by the ocean. And people are start talking about him. Hey man, I don't know if you noticed this. Not the best place to build a boat. No water. Hasn't rained. What are you doing? But Noah was bigger, or God was bigger to Noah than his reputation. Or you can have Sarah married to Abraham. God is bigger than her inability to have children. And then God shows up when she is 90 and says, hey, you're going to have a son. And Sarah's like, oh, God, I don't know if you know how this works, but I'm a past the age of childbearing age. And God's like, is anything too hard for me? I love that question. There's nothing too hard for God. Sarah learned that. For Abraham, God's bigger than the unknown future. Um, this past week, we had a uh, guy come in, talk about what you're going to do after college, right, to all of our seniors. That's a scary step, especially when you don't know what you're going to do. Talking about two-year college degrees or four-year college degrees or going into some type of business or going into the military. And a lot of our guys, this is an unknown future. And what they need to be asking and need to be reminded of 
is God bigger? That's what Abraham had to do. God calls him out to leave his family, not knowing where he's going. But because he believed God's bigger, he was able to take the first step. For Jacob, God is bigger than sibling rivalry. He goes back to Esau. Esau had the power and ability to take his life and probably thought he was going to, but Jacob trusted that God was bigger than Esau. For David, God's bigger than the giant. Everybody's terrified of how huge this giant is, but not David. Why? Because David knew that God was bigger. For Nehemiah, God's bigger than a broken wall. For Peter, God's bigger than his denial. And for Paul, God was bigger than his past. And for you, God will be bigger than anything that comes in your life. If you get diagnosed with cancer tomorrow, God is bigger than your cancer. If you have a broken relationship and you are struggling today, God is bigger than your broken relationship. When I look at our city and I see we have the shirts about stopping gun violence, God is bigger than the violence in our city. When I see the brokenness, when I see level one test scores in our school districts and I see families ripped apart, what I see is not how big the problem is, but I see how big and great our God is. And God is bigger. Rest in that. And it's easy to say when you're not in the furnace. But you're getting ready to fall in. You're in it right now or you just came out of it. What you know, what I know, what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego learned is God's with you through the furnace. And He's bigger than the flames. God is bigger. And then secondly, God is better. Daniel 3.18 said, But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we're not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. I wonder if this has been what you've decided. Is God better? Is God better? You remember, and this throughout the Bible and throughout history, it goes either way. Adam and Eve are in the garden. It's perfect. And yet there's this fruit that they shouldn't eat, and they're thinking, did God really say that? This looks really good. Is God better than this? And they go and they disobey and they eat. Right? Disobedience and sin always looks more enticing and better than what God has for us. And it always ends the same way. Ends in death, ends in despair, ends in regret. And that's always the options. Is God better? And that's something you have to answer for yourself. You can either say, you know what, I'd rather be comfortable than be where God's called me to be. And so what you're saying is, comfort is better than God. Maybe you want to be popular, so you'll say whatever you want to, do whatever you want to do. And so what you're saying is popularity is better than God. Maybe you want to be wealthy. We heard a lot of goals on some of our guys that what they want, they want to make a lot of money. And so what they're saying is money or wealth, the ability to buy things, is better than God. And what we've seen again and again and again throughout history is that God is always better than whatever the world has to offer. You see this with Daniel, and you see it summed up well in Daniel 3, 28, where Nebuchadnezzar says, not only is God bigger, God is better. Set aside the king's man, yielded up their bodies. Why? Why did they set aside the king's decrees? Because they saw a God who was bigger. Then, 
They keep going, and they won't worship any of their gods that they set up, but accept their own God, Yahweh. Why? Because God is better. How have you guys answered that question? There was a guy, Nick Foles, he's a quarterback. You may not have heard of him. He's not a very popular quarterback. Right? He came in for one season with the Eagles. Um, their main guy got hurt, Carson Wentz. He was a starter. Um, Carson Wentz goes out, Nick Foles fills in, and he takes the Philadelphia Eagles to the Super Bowl, and they win it. And I think it was interesting. He had an interview recently, and he said, winning the Super Bowl was awesome, and I had fun. It was a great time. But going through that experience, which I'd love to experience, right? If you can ever hold up the Lombardi Trophy, you're on the best team in the planet. Pretty cool experience. What he says is going through this, I learned that Jesus is better than even holding up this trophy, which a lot of men are sacrificing their lives for. That's amazing. But then, not only to say God's better, but God's bigger. He goes to Jacksonville. Jacksonville had some pieces in place. They had a good running game. They had a good defense. They needed a quarterback. They had a guy by the name of Blake Bortles. Blake Bortles wasn't very good. They picked this guy up. The city's like, oh, we got our guy. Second game of the season, breaks his clavicle. And then Nick Foles goes, God's bigger than my injury. He goes, the joy that I had winning the Super Bowl, I still have because my joy is not in my football ability or lack of ability. It's in Jesus. He found something that's bigger and better. Hey, and what's true for him is true for you. You want to know how you can have joy in the middle of trial? When your health's decaying? When your body's falling apart? When life's not going well? You'll find a God who is bigger and a God who is better. That's what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did. That's what I pray you do. And then I'm going to close with this. In the New Testament, there's another furnace. There's another furnace, but it's the same deliverer. And I just want you to hear this. Now listen, um, we don't joke about hell at our church. Because unfortunately, what we see and what we believe and what the Bible teaches is hell is a reality for people who refuse to follow Jesus. If you live however you want to, you won't live with Jesus in heaven forever. You'll live separated from Him forever. And so when I read a passage like this as a pastor, it breaks my heart to see this reality because Jesus went through the furnace so you don't have to. Check this out. In Matthew chapter 13, I'm going to start with verse 41. The Son of Man, Jesus, will send His angels and they will gather out of this kingdom all causes of sin and rebellion and lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine in the kingdom of heaven like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Who who has ears, let him hear. I think that's interesting right there. Here's the awesome part. You have a God who does not expect you to earn your way to Him. You have a God that sends a deliverer to rescue you so you can get to Him. You have a God who is bigger than your sin. All the mistakes that you have made, that you're making, and that you will make, are covered by the cross. And Jesus is calling you to come to Him. Come to me. 
be rescued, be delivered from the garbage. You have something better. Come to me. That's what Jesus is saying on the cross. He is the one in the fire rescuing us from the flames. The awesome part of my reality is that I will not have to face a fiery furnace for eternity separated from Jesus. Why? Because Jesus came to me. And that's what we're getting ready to celebrate at Christmas. Right? Emmanuel means God with us. And Jesus goes to the cross to pay for sin he never committed. He is perfect. The Son of God lays his life down so that I might have life. And so there's two ways you and I will pay for our sin. There's two ways you and I will pay for our sin. It has either been paid for by Jesus on the cross, and we know him now as deliverer and rescuer, or for all eternity we will be in what Jesus calls the fiery furnace, separated from Jesus forever, paying for our sin, separated from God forever. That is our reality. I want you to be warned. I don't treat this lightly, but you have a rescuer. And that is the good news. And then I want you to see this. So not only God bigger, not only did he save Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the furnace, he can save you and he saved me from the furnace. But now check this out. God's better. Verse 44, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered it up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. So I started thinking, I put it in my own perspective, right? So, Mike, you know where we threw all the rocks in that valley? Let's say we're going down there. We start throwing rocks. It hits something and bam! It doesn't sound like it sounded. It didn't hit a tree, it didn't hit a rock. We start digging. All of a sudden, we find this hidden treasure. And then let's say there's $2 billion, right? It's this diamond, $2 billion. We're going to cover it up, right? We'll cover it up with rocks. We're going to go back to our house. We're going to sell everything that I have, right? I'm going to get at least $50 for my truck, maybe a little bit more for the van. We'll sell our house. We're going to do everything, get all this money in the bank, and then go to our neighbor and say, hey, listen, we really love this valley where you throw all the concrete. How much do you think it's worth? We'll probably say $25,000, $50,000. We'll say, we'll pay you $75,000 right now. Deal. We give them the money and we get that. And we're, what are we going to do? We're celebrating, right? We just found a treasure that is fantastic, billions of dollars, right? That's what the kingdom of heaven is like. When you see Jesus, you're like, man, you can have that and you can have this and you can have that. I want Jesus. And when you get Jesus, it's like this guy sold everything that he had and then in his joy buys the field. You see, only God can do something like that. And so here's my prayer, and this is something for me and for you, and I just want you to, to hear me. In life, there's a lot of things that come that will say, hey, this is better. This is better. Pursue me. This is better. Pursue this. This is better. It could look like an inappropriate relationship. Married guys, married ladies. Somebody else is better for you. Pursue that person. It is better. Right? That's what Satan does. All the while, Jesus is like, no, I'm way better. It could be drugs, it could be drinking, it could be partying, it could be sleeping around. You guys can fill in the blanks, right? All I know is for me, I have to remind myself, God is bigger when the world seems overwhelming, and God is better when I start chasing after things I shouldn't chase after. 
And what I found to be true in every circumstance, God has always been bigger and God has always been better. What I found, I pray that you find as well. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that you do what you do. Lord, I pray that in the young men and young women that are here, I pray that they see how great you are, that they'd be willing to risk it all to follow you, to go and do whatever you've called them to do. And so I pray that you transform their hearts, transform their minds. I pray for the couples who are newly married or been married a few years, that they find you are the best and that they pursue you. And as they pursue you, they help their spouse pursue together what you have for them. Father, I pray for our older couples and our singles that they run to you. As storms come, I pray that they see that you are bigger and are able and are with them. And I pray for all of us in the room that we see Jesus as the treasure hidden in the field, that we leave everything so that we can pursue and hold fast to him. May we say with Paul, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And whatever I have, I count as loss because of the surpassing greatness of knowing your son, Jesus. Lord, it's true. You are the God who delivers. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.